0: in exile. The title of today's message is Insanity. Yes, Insanity. I'm not talking about exercise, although many of us need it after this week of eating. I'm also not talking about all your extended family members who you had in your house this week that caused you to go insane. I'm I'm talking about Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar this week in in Daniel chapter 4. It's a fantastic story. It's really a fascinating story and I think it will help us to see ourselves in the culture in which we live. And so uh, let's pray and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for your kindness and your goodness in speaking to us today. Lord, as we open your word, we just want to hear your voice more and more. We want to be more open to where you're leading us, what you want us to do, how you want to change us, transform us. Let the, the light of life come into our hearts as you share the, your words with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, as we've been going through this... Uh, this series, Living in Exile. If you've, if you've missed any of, of the uh, uh, messages, you can go to onechapel.com and listen to the podcasts. I really recommend that you do that if you've missed any of them because we're talking about something that's really significant in our church and I believe in our city and really in our nation. We're talking about a, a cultural moment. We're talking about a cultural shift that's happened over the last two or three decades where the ground beneath our feet has shifted and where we're, we're experiencing what sociologists would call a post-Christian society. When I say that, I don't mean that, that there are no more Christians. I don't mean that the, that the church is gone or a thing of the past. We're, we're all here, there are people here, but what I'm talking about is that we are not the dominant worldview. And, and what has happened is the secularization of Western culture is now complete. What happened several decades ago in the academic world is now uh, revealing itself in the popular level. Um, if you're a Christian for the first time in American history, you are the minority worldview. There are many other worldviews that are competing and vying for people's attention. It used to be that you had the minority, that we had the majority worldview, excuse me, and, and that's no longer true. So the question we've been asking is, well, how do you live in a post-Christian world then? And for some people, this is a new question. For others, you're just trying to figure out like what what is this Christian life all about? How do I live it out with my friends and my family? And I think the book of Daniel gives us a really great understanding of how to be what we've called a creative minority, a creative minority, not just a a group of people that survive in a culture as Daniel did. But Daniel didn't just live in his hostile and foreign culture or foreign country, but he was actually able to thrive to live out his faith, to adapt, to innovate, to recreate a new way of living his, his truth, the truth that God had taught him, the truth of the scriptures. He lived them out. And so, so far, we've looked at Daniel and how he managed some of these things. We've looked at his three friends last week. We talked about uh, Hananiah, Azariah, uh, and Mishael who were able to influence the entire nation of Babylon. But not just, not just influencing the nation, but influencing the king himself. And the result of this influence was not just a, a, an influence that... Um, That some of the people around them could see, but people at the very top of the entire cultural strata were able to see. The most powerful man in the world, King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the greatest global military superpower at that time was influenced by Daniel and his friends. And I want you to notice this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. Look what it says. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. People, this sounds pretty impressive. This sounds like King Nebuchadnezzar, like, got it. Not so much. Not so much. This is how King Nebuchadnezzar responded to the miracles he had seen, to Daniel interpreting his dream, to the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were called in Babylonian culture, being thrown into the blazing furnace and surviving. God revealing himself to King Nebuchadnezzar in that fire. And this is similar to how Nebuchadnezzar responded in the dream in chapter 2 when Daniel interpreted his dream for him. Look at Daniel 2, 46 through 47. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. King Nebuchadnezzar kept having God encounters. He had these God encounters where he saw something. But listen, a God encounter is not enough to live on. There has to be something more. And so he keeps having these God encounters, but nothing was really changing in his life. He kept falling back into the dominant strain, stream of the culture of Babylon, which was completely devoid of God, the God of the scriptures. Sure, there was a bunch of worship going on, but it wasn't worship of Yahweh, Jehovah, It was fully humanistic, filled with injustice and slavery. It was a a culture that had opulent wealth and luxury, hedonism, sexual immorality of all kinds. And so in chapter 4, everything kind of comes to a head for King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 4 in Daniel 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at my home in my palace, contented and prosperous. If you look at a couple of other translations, you see maybe an underlying meaning here. The English Standard Version says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. The New Living Translation says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. If last week we talked about culture's greatest test Which is, what will we worship? This week It is even maybe a little harder talk. It's a little more difficult talk because we're going to talk about culture's greatest sin. Our culture's greatest sin. And it's not any of the things you would actually be thinking about right now. It's something that pervades even our own church culture in America. It's something that that rises up within us individually and that we live out corporately sometimes. Culture's greatest sin is the sin of pride. The sin of pride. Kind of a, God, we've got this, we don't really need you. And this is what happens every time in a prosperous culture. Every time throughout history we can read it. God hey listen King Nebuchadnezzar had seen God do extraordinary things with his own eyes he'd seen and experienced the reality of God but yet he kept falling into culture's greatest sin being full of himself instead of full of God When I look at our nation the United States of America I mean it really is true there has been a blessing on this nation it's true I think God has done some incredible things with our nation. And there are extraordinary events. I mean, it is an imperfect union for sure. There are major problems and have been ever since its origination. But relying on God and looking to Him has been one of its saving graces. One of the incredible ironies that's happened in every empire. Everybody say empire. If you look at any empire throughout the history of the world, it's happening in America and has happened in America, is that we don't know how to handle the prosperity that God gives us. We don't know how to live in it. In every empire, prosperity has led to contentment, a contentment without God, a comfort, a medicating of ourselves, and a convenience that trumps everything, that trumps sacrificial giving or concepts. And we retreat into a a relationship with God that is more of a fire alarm type of relationship. You go to him when you need to pull the fire alarm, when things are really bad. When the stock market goes down, (laughs) church attendance goes up. Yeah, that was serious, wasn't it? <laughs> I meant it to be funny, but you know how real it is. When the house is burning down, we're like, oh God, where are you? I need you. But when all is well, we're experiencing the prosperity, we kind of shove God out of the picture. But here's the thing. We can't, when we can't stay close to God when we're prospering, we're in danger of experiencing the same thing in our lives in this nation that occurred in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And we find ourselves... Incomplete insanity. Insanity. Now, insanity, I know you've heard people talk about this as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's a nice, cute little idea. But here's what the actual meaning is. Deranged thinking. It's when your thinking is off and it produces turmoil in your soul. Turmoil in your soul. Unfortunately, this is such a great description of what's happening in our culture today. In so many people's lives, there's insanity everywhere. So many people's thinking has gotten so far off, and there's so much soul sickness. People are sick in their souls. And and this is what happens when we get away from what God's word actually says. When you start living our lives completely contrary to God's word... That's why there's such chaos in so many people's lives and in our country and around the world. We're seeing some crazy things go on all over our nation. People acting out, people trying to figure out how to live, people feeling like they're being violated and so they start violating others in return. The insanity of this way of life Is rooted in pride. It's rooted in an arrogance. It's rooted in the idea that it's all about me. That will always lead to insanity. It will always lead to a turmoil of the soul. But listen, God's desire is that our souls prosper. Here's what the Bible says. John 3, uh, sorry, 3rd John 1 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. God doesn't want you to be insane. He doesn't want you to live out the insanity of your soul. God doesn't want your soul to be in turmoil. He wants it to prosper. But if we're not paying attention, we fall into this trap. And it leads us to the same place Nebuchadnezzar was in Daniel chapter 4 because insanity ensues when we find ourselves sufficient, self-sufficient, instead of God-dependent, when we're self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. Now listen, most of you are here today and you're like, you're thinking, well, yeah, of course, but that's not me. (laughs) I'm here at church today, Pastor Ross. I'm I'm here. I love God. Really? Are you always God-dependent? I know I'm not always God-dependent. I know that if I'm not careful, if I'm not surrendering and yielded to him, it is so easy for me to begin to worry, to begin to be confused, to begin to be concerned about everything that's happening in my life. And you know where it shows up the most? Here's where it shows up the most in my life, and I I would make a bet in your life, and it is in the sin of prayerlessness. Arrogance is shown in the sin of prayerlessness. Pride begins to creep in when we are prayerless. Isn't it interesting that we pray a whole lot more when we're in trouble? We pray a whole lot less when we're not. There's a there's a there's a play in football. I I I like od'd on football like this weekend. (laughs) It was so I mean so many great college games that that Ohio State game and Michigan game. Oh my gosh, that was incredible. Listen, there's a, there's a play that usually comes at the end of a football game. And it, is, it comes when there's no options left. <laughs> there's nothing else to do. We, cannot, we can't really run any more plays after this. This is the only play we've got left. Do you know what it's called? Hail. It's called the Hail Mary. And the Hail Mary comes from a Catholic prayer. It comes from a prayer prayer. Of course, It's kind of this mindset that we've tried everything else, now let's pray. <laughs> right. This is so easy to fall into. So easy to fall into. What, what do we do? How do we stay God-dependent when everything is okay? That's the challenge. How do we stay God-dependent during the whole game? <laughs> Not just on the last play. I think we have to do something. Here it is. Ready? You write this down in your notes. Every day, pray. Super simple. Every day, pray. Pray throughout the day. Pray when you're getting on the bus. Pray when you're going to work. Pray when you're on your way home from work. Instead of making those phone calls, oh. (laughs) Pray instead. Get up early. Lay down in your bed late. Pray. Let God be the first one you talk to in the morning and the last one you talk to before you go to bed. Every day, pray. Prayer is not uh, this fire alarm, 9-11, call out to God. It's not a last ditch ever. Prayer is when everything is going great and you still cry out to God. That's what prayer is. God, I still need you. Give me today my daily bread. God, without you, I'm nothing. Lord, I declare my dependence and my yieldedness to you. Listen, our church has made a habit of every season, every new season we're going into in the fall and the the spring, when we turn the first of the year, is we do something called first week or 21 days of prayer. And we've done both in our history. And here is why we do it. It is a habit because we want what we start out first doing to be the determining factor for everything else we do. We want our lives to turn to God and make sure he's first. It is one of the most important things that we do as a church. In January, we're gonna do 21 days of prayer again. I think it's a significant moment in our history, in our culture, in our nation. I think we have to, I think we have to impress on each other how important our prayers together are. It expresses a dependence, a reliance, a yieldedness on God. I'm telling you, we have to turn back to God in dependence of him. Prayerlessness, listen, prayerlessness, you know what it is? You know what it actually is? It's atheism. Prayerlessness is atheism. It's pretending that there is no other power, any other force, any other person who is helping you. You're like, you know, God, I think i got this. I'll let you know when I need you. Nebuchadnezzar was guilty of this. Nebuchadnezzar refused to be God-dependent. Instead, he was self-sufficient. Look what Daniel 4, verse 5 through 7 says. Here's his story. Ready? I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Has anybody heard this story before? It happened two chapters earlier. This is what proves there was insanity going on. In the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. Because just in chapter 2, he had a dream. None of his wise men could tell him. Only Daniel, through the power of God, could interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And yet here he is again, going to all the same people, trying to figure it out. Verse 8 says, Finally, Daniel came into my presence. Oh, I should have had a V8. What, What did I do? Wow, that's so old, I just dated myself. No one under 25 even understands what that was. That was an old commercial for V8 juice, which is tasty and delicious. Okay. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the musicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. And he goes on and tells Daniel's dream. And in his dream, he sees this giant tree. The tree of his country and of his rulership, it had all these branches to it and birds were living and a fruit was growing on it. And then all of a sudden the tree was cut down and only a stump was left. The tree was cut down. His life was cut down. His rulership was cut down. His country was cut down. Nebuchadnezzar was hoping that this was a picture of what was going to happen to his enemies. But no, Daniel describes the interpretation of the dream in verse 22. Skip down there. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. I love that phrase right there. Leave the stump. You should write that down in your notes because it's significant. It's, it has meaning. Leave the stump. You know, God always leaves the ability for you to return to him. He always he always remains he, re, he leaves an opportunity for you to turn back to him for us to always respond to him. Now listen, there are obvious consequences of sinfulness there's no mistaking that. Some people yell and scream that God is bringing justice to America. I don't necessarily believe that. I think the reality is God's not bringing judgment on America. We've just stepped outside of God's protection. I think we just keep going down our sinful path until there's there's no more protection left. That's what happens. We bring calamity on ourselves, but God always leaves enough He's always right there, ready to return, ready for us to return, ready to create a way back to himself. Listen, don't let anybody fool you. Repentance is the most powerful and wonderful and happy word in the Bible. It is not a sad word or a mean word or an angry word. It is a wonderful word that means there's always an opportunity to turn back to him. It doesn't matter what you've done this week. It doesn't matter what happened to you yesterday or last month. God is ready. He's willing for you to turn to Him, to repent, to turn away from your sinfulness and turn to Him. He is ready to respond immediately. It is the thing in the Scriptures. It is the one element of Scripture that is instantaneous, is forgiveness in response to repentance. (laughs) Unfortunately, everything else is processed. But that is the one It is the one thing God will always be ready to do. Verse 23, look at it. It says, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. Seven periods of time is what the Bible's talking about there. This is the interpretation, O King. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven time periods will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar literally went insane. The dream revealed that he would stay in that insanity until he came to his senses and acknowledged that there was wasn't that he wasn't the one who created this Babylon, Babylonian empire and all of its wealth and opulence. You know, I think we do the same thing as Nebuchadnezzar. We keep taking credit for all that's going on in our lives. Things that we didn't do. Look at the business I built. Look at the house I live in. Look at the cars I drive. Look at the family I created. And God says, look, I want you to be prosperous, but you cannot take credit for all of it. There's someone else at work. You don't, hey, listen, you don't even have to be successful to think this way. Here's how a person who's trying to be successful starts to think, I need to work 80 hours a week to make any business work. I got I, I to gotta have a much better house to live in. I need, a cool, I need a cooler car to drive. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> I got to have a cooler car. I need, to t- I need to take and make more money so my kids can have everything that they deserve that will drive you just as much as prosperity and success you, but here's the bottom line you can't be convinced that it's all up to you because if it's all up to you insanity begins to happen you are self-sufficient instead of god dependent but insanity also ensues second idea is we get when we give ourselves the credit instead of thanking god for it when we give ourselves the credit instead of thanking god for it 1st Thessalonians 5:18 says, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If we're going to avoid the ter- turmoil of our own soul, we have to thank God for everything. Recognize that everything you have, everything you are is because of God. Even secular sociologists are tapping into the idea of thankfulness and gratitude as a key, I, I believe that thanking God is something that we have to do every day. It's, I think this is part of what's causing our nation to slide. We've become so arrogant. We've stopped asking for God to help us, to bless us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, here's what it says. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, what are you so puffed up about? What do, you, what do you have that God hasn't given to you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you have accomplished something on your own? See I think we have to live in an attitude of gratitude because it gives us a prosperity of our soul that the world can't give us. Dr. Caroline Leaf, brilliant brain researcher and scientist, she she has a thing that she says she says when we begin to thank God he always listens. Something happens when we thank God and when we praise him, he comes near. Look at Daniel 4.26. It says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Oh, I love that. Number three, look at it. Number three, insanity ensues when we think we know best instead of acknowledging that heaven rules. When we think we know best, when we acknowledge, instead of acknowledging that heaven rules, listen, I, there's an arrogance in our society that we actually know more than God. And I think this is, listen, this is a prophetic warning for us. If you think you know more than God, you're going to end up like a stump. The further away we get from God's word, the more the turmoil, turmoil of your soul will begin to ensue. See, church family, I believe the earth is groaning and there's chaos in our streets because we're a generation that by and large has rejected God's word and his ideas for us. But, clo- but the closer we get to God's words, when we call on him, there will be peace again. Look what 2 Chronicles seven fourteen says. It's a f- famous passage. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, that was point one, and seek my face, that was point two, and turn from their wicked ways, that's point three, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. In other words, the stump will grow again and will heal their land I think instead of pushing God out of the picture, we need to welcome Him back in. Look at Isaiah sixty-six-two says, "This is the one I esteem, He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at My word." The one who God esteems is the one who says, "I, God, I, I don't know what's best. I need You to help me. You know what's best." Look how the end of the story in Daniel in Daniel chapter four. Ends up. Look at verse 27. It says, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. Not just prosperity of his kingdom, but prosperity of his own soul. Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen to Daniel's advice. Look at verse 28. And we come to the, some of the final end. It says all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips. Check this out. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven says, saying, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live like the with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass buy for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled he was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird creepy The warning is here for you and me if you don't want to end up creepy. (laughs) You and I have to respond to what God is saying. Look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. So he goes through this season of insanity in his life until he finally he finally resolves I'm going to turn my eyes toward heaven. God is always ready in a moment remember to forgive and restore you. Psalm 51 says a broken and contrite heart oh god you will not despise. You can mess up and 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 it's never too late. Never too late. Immediately God says, "Okay, come to me. Verse 34 says, then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold his hand back, hand or hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, finally and suddenly Nebuchadnezzar changes. Verse 36, at that same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Listen, it's always God's desire to bless you, to keep your soul healthy, to keep you fulfilled. Verse 37, here's our final verse of the day. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble oh. people this is a story for you and me it's a story for our nation but it's a story for our, us individually and I just want you to see three things here right the first is he was willing you have to decide to exalt the king of heaven you and I must exalt the King of Heaven. Listen, I know sometimes it gets a little crazy around here. Sometimes you'll see me jumping up and down in the front row during worship, right? But you know what that is? That is me responding to the God who I know reigns and rules over everything. That is me responding to the love of the Father in my own life. And I think we ought to be the kind of people that will exalt the King of heaven over everything and over anything. And, and as we come together to worship, there is an exaltation that we must, I think, participate in. And I, think, I, I don't think it's good for us to say, well, you know, Pastor Ross, that's not my style. Listen, there's a whole bunch of people who fill up UT Stadium down here, Royal Stadium. (laughs) and Well, maybe not this year. But in years past, in years past, it is so incredibly loud. Those people are yelling. They're singing songs. They're waving their hands. They are excited. They're going for it. You go to any club all over Austin, and you'll see people jumping up and down with their hands in the air and enjoying themselves. Listen, listen to me, Smalls. Wow, you guys are really culturally up to date. Listen, exalting God is one of the primary ways that we never get full of pride. We never get full of pride. But I don't know if you've noticed, but it... Kind of, tr- you kind of start thinking, you acting like a little kid. Innocence is restored in worship. Innocence comes when you decide, I'm going to exalt God with whatever I got—my voice, my hands. The scriptures teach us shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The scriptures teach to lift your hands as you're worshiping the Lord. The scriptures teach us to sing out. Listen, th- these are things that not only are he, God doesn't need it from you. He knows that he's wired you and me for worship. We're wired for it. We're going to worship no matter where where we are, no matter what we're involved in. We're going to worship ourselves, or we're going to worship our career, or we're going to worship athletes, or we're going to worship football, or we're going to to worship something. We're going to spend all of our time and attention and affection on something. I just want to challenge you to exalt God. Number two, you acknowledge that God does everything right, and all his ways are just. Stop trying to figure God out. There is a mystery here that you're going to have to embrace, a mystery that demands faith. A mystery that that demands that we accept God's word as true and that his ways are higher than ours. Sanity will return to your life if you reject this. Listen, I find it. We're so uptight. We're so tormented. We're so busy. We're so upset about so many things. It's easy to live in turmoil in our soul. Don't continue to think you've got it all figured out, that somehow you know more in this advanced culture that we live in, more technologically sound than the generations before us, more sophisticated than any generation, even more than the scriptures. Now, don't think that I want you to check your brain at the door, right? I want you to study. I want you to research. I want you to think. I want you to be articulate. But I want your mind and your heart and your soul to be surrendered to God acknowledging that he does everything right and he is the only one who knows what justice, perfect justice looks like. Finally, number three, you gotta walk in humility. Humility is not, listen, you gotta walk in humility. Humility is not, is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not less, thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. If you do this, God will do this. If you'll be willing to humble yourself, God will lift you up. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I want you to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you, and we're going to come to the Lord's table. And we practice what's called open communion at one chapel, which means if you... You want to serve Him, serve God and love him? We want you to come to this table because Jesus himself set this table. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, please don't p- feel pressured. But listen, we're coming to this table for a reason because this is the table that represents what Jesus has done for us. Jesus himself died on a cross. He humbled himself. He became a man. Jesus himself worshiped his father, exalted his father, and only did what he said. Jesus himself was the perfect son of God, but gave his life for you and for me so that we could be in a meaningful and wonderful relationship with God. That's why the bread represents his body, his brokenness. The fact that he died on a cross, the cup represents the blood that was spilled, I want you to come and participate and let God speak to you about your, your own humility, about your pride, about, about how you take the credit instead of thanking God for everything that you have. You might even say to me this morning, Pastor Ross, I, I'm, I'm struggling, I can't, I can't even be thankful because life is so hard right now. Would you be willing to come to this table and receive the provision of the Lord? Receive the provision that he has for you. Come. Come and receive. All are welcome here. Come and receive what he has for you. Let him speak to you. Let him feed you. Father, we pray that you would just lead us now, guide us, help us to repent of our pride and our arrogance. Help us to... Turn back to you instead of being so self-assured. Forgive us for our arrogance and our pride. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Heal us. Cleanse us. Make us new again. Give us a fresh start today, that we might follow you, and you will lead us. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, Amen. There's a station in. Front